marketing in space, and making gravity. You're listening to Are We There Yet? The radio show exploring space exploration. Hi, I'm Brendan Byrne. Space is open for business. NASA is loosening restrictions on the use of the space station for commercial companies, paving the way for new business opportunities in orbit. From music videos to commercials, companies are now looking to the cosmos to tell their stories. So what will the future of space marketing look like? And what does NASA stand to gain? We'll talk with Space Marketing Group's Trisha Navizada about the bold new future of space marketing. Then a listener asks, how far away are we from having rotating ships that create artificial gravity? We'll put that question to our expert panel of scientists on this week's edition of I'd Like to Know. That's ahead on Are We There Yet? But first, let's take a look at the space news stories making headlines. NASA's human computer and hidden figure, Katherine Johnson, died on Monday. The NASA family will never forget Katherine Johnson's courage and the milestones we could not have reached without her, wrote NASA Administrator Jim Bridenstine on Twitter. He went on to say her story and her grace continue to inspire the world. Johnson was instrumental in calculating the trajectories for the first human launches for the agency and planning trips to the moon, all the while battling racism and sexism. She was recognized for her groundbreaking work and barrier-breaking efforts for both women and African Americans in the book and movie Hidden Figures. Katherine Johnson was 101 years old. NASA's next moon rocket is undergoing testing, and for the first few tests, technicians are hitting the rocket with hammers. Electric motors called shakers also are testing the SLS's rocket's structure. Electric motors called shakers are also testing the SLS rocket's structure, verifying it can withstand the intense vibrations it will experience during launch. The motors were installed during manufacturing of the core stage booster. Technicians are using calibrated hammers to bang the top of the rocket, an area where the motors can't reach. The tests are part of a larger test campaign happening at a NASA facility in Mississippi called the Green Run. The campaign is pushing the brand new rocket's fuel tanks and engines to the max, including a full eight and a half minute firing of its four engines this summer. Stay up to date on the latest space news. Visit our website, wmfe.org slash space. And you can give me a follow on Twitter for the latest. I'm at Space Brendan. Space is open for business. NASA is loosening restrictions on the use of the space station for commercial companies, paving the way for new business opportunities in orbit. So what will the future of space marketing look like, and what does NASA stand to gain? Joining us by Skype is Space Marketing Group's Trisha Navazada about the bold new future of space marketing. Trisha, thanks for speaking with us. Thank you for having me. So, Trisha, I mean, the first thing I want to know is what has changed at NASA that's now opened the door for these commercial partnerships to exist? Um, well, you know, space is open for business in a sense that last June, NASA opened the door for commercial activities aboard the International Space Station. And, and what that kind of means is for the first time ever, artists, creators, innovators, entrepreneurs and brands they all have access to all sorts of activities in microgravity now for benefits of content, brand association, marketing, in addition to the research and development that was already ongoing. Um, the directive in specific opened commercial manufacturing and production 
and allowed both NASA and private astronauts to conduct new commercial activities on board the ISS. And, you know, the key he, here is that they set the prices for industry use of um, U.S. government resources on the space station for commercial and marketing activities. I mean, this isn't a bold new step for space agencies in general, right? I mean, this existed in some form on the space station before, but but the big news is that NASA's allowing it. Is that my understanding? Um, it kind of has existed before, but but, you know, just the marketing activities solely without a research component um, hasn't really been popular in the past. And, and, you know, for them to come out and say, you know, we're open to do business up here. Um, I, I think it's a pretty big step in, in terms of, um, you know, things being able to get approved to go up there and projects, approvals and so on. So gotcha. So the kind of bold new future is that there's going to be marketing opportunities on the ISS. Georgia, can you paint me pictures to what those could possibly be? I mean, what are some ideas that come to mind to market on Space Station? Sure. Um, so, you know, our agency, Space Marketing Group, you know, we've packaged a host of programs um, in relation to, you know, marketing activities um, from, you know, art to design, education, and also, you know, plain, plain and simple, produce a commercial on the ISS. Um, and so... Those are some things that we're working on now. But just to kind of share with you what the ISS National Lab um, has been doing recently, um, they recently uh, had a partnership with Adidas, a multi-year partnership to pursue breakthroughs in product innovation, human performance, and sustainability. This is a partnership that I believe happened last year. Uh, it marks the first time footwear innovation will be tested in space, right? So Budweiser... I'm sorry, not Bowers. Adidas is is going to be able to create not only research and development up there, but they're also going to be able to create, say, commercials and and so on, um, content to distribute on their channels and to their to their customer base. And so there's, you know, endless possibilities of the types of programs that you can do up on the ISS. Budweiser um, is brewing beer in space, and so. Really, the value proposition for for these corporate partnerships is one, you know, the content and how they leverage that content. Um, whether it's in research or if it's just a pure commercial or physics course taught on board, um, you know, their end user is going to think of them when they're thinking of this project, and and I think it will probably be a really new way to look at marketing in the sense that it's helping humanity, it's helping research and development. And and then there's also, the, you know, the content assets at the end of the road that um, are value. You mentioned Adidas, you mentioned Budweiser, and, and, and as you say, there's this research component to it. Is that kind of the way that you have to go when you're thinking about a marketing campaign on the space station, have some sort of connection to the science or, or, or the research element of, of the ISS? Um, you really don't at this point, thanks to the new um, you know, NASA d directive. But really, everything we're going to do up there is going to have a research and development component to it. For example, um, there was a Cookies in Space uh, project. Doubletree um, by Hilton and Zero G all partnered to to you know bake cookies in space, and and this was just a cute story and and it is a research project, but it's also it's also really fun, um, and and you know they've been able to like package their famous recipe that they've also made in space to to their end users, and so um, so it doesn't really matter what you're going to do at some point, 
there is going to be a value derived that has to do with research and development. And pardoned upon coming off talk of cookies, but is there an appetite for this? Is is there an appetite for companies to get their marketing efforts extended into space? I think now more than ever, the interest level has spiked, um, specifically in the last couple of months. Uh, previously, you know, to the Elon Musk boom of the last couple of years, you know, most people hadn't even heard of the International Space Station, and and space has seemed really inaccessible. Um, but you know, recently, a lot of companies are looking at space as an opportunity to participate. Um, and so I, th- I think there's been, you know, a really big push. I mean, even South by Southwest this year, which is a conference that focuses on art, music and media and sorts, they've added, you know, space sessions to their to their um, to their formats. And so I think that space is hot. I think that the ISS National Lab has built endless case studies on how really cool and fun brands that um, invest in, you know, the human spirit can participate in space activities. And I think you're going to see a huge gold rush of, of brands, you know, wanting to participate. And one of the major, you know, factors that has contributed to the accessibility of space and the ISS is the cost reduction in launch prices. Um, and I'm sure, I'm sure you've, you've, if you haven't already read the report, um, by the space foundation, you know, in the last decade, the space launch cost has uh, reduced by a factor of 20, which really means that like in 2000, the year 2000 or even, you know, 18,500 was like the average price per kilogram for a launch. And today, um, and thanks to, you know, Elon and Falcon nine, um, it's about twenty seven hundred, twenty eight hundred bucks, and so that's a really that's a really different in price reduction, and and that does that doesn't really happen in any industry. Um, so if you're going to shoot a commercial, you know, with a gecko, um, you know, in and and create a scene, a Hollywood scene that this gecko's in space, for example, you can literally do that now in space and have almost the same type of cost to it. And that's pretty remarkable. What's in it for NASA? I mean, you mentioned at the start of our interview, they've, they've kind of rolled out some prices. What, what would the cost of, say, shooting a commercial in space or getting a picture of your logo in, in the cupola of the ISS, what, what's the price we're looking at here? And for NASA, is this something for them to put money into their coffers? How does this partnership work? Um, well, Obviously, I'm just kind of guesstimating because it's going to depend on the product and, and, you know, all the things that go around it. But, you know, anything can happen anywhere from twenty five, fifty grand all the way up to a couple hundred thousand dollars. And so uh, for, for any CEOs and CMOs out there, um, that's, that's a pretty, pretty low price to, to have a program up there. And just to follow up, Tricia, um, what's in it for NASA and, and what's the agency's role in this? Well, you know, the private space industry is really driving um, these partnerships. And so NASA's role um, is is really to make sure that um, all the regulations are met. And so I don't really think that this is going to be, you know, a huge revenue model for NASA, although I do think there's going to be um, some benefits to them. Um, but I think the private space industry and the brands that participate are going to benefit the most. Um, you know, for us, most of our suppliers are NASA partners, but they're all private space companies. And and so 
NASA has really invested the last 20 years into making sure that we can stay alive up there and and be able to live, breathe, and eat. And uh, and the private space industry has flourished in, in, in part to that. And so and so I think the biggest benefact- benefactory is going to be the private space industry. And, uh, and, and sure, I think it's going to be fun for NASA and, and it will be a revenue channel for them. Uh, but I think they're looking at the bigger picture of, you know, the new private space station ecosystem that is about to flourish in the next five years. And, and I think, you know, all these opening door opportunities for business to take place in space um, will contribute to this whole new ecosystem of private space stations um, flourishing up there. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. We're speaking with Trisha Navazada. She's principal and head of corporate partnerships at Space Marketing Group. Trisha, you mentioned private space stations. Talk a little bit about that. You know, with, with the prospect of these private sta- space stations coming online, there's going to be more of these opportunities. How do you see the marketing landscape develop and flourish as we get more places for uh, for marketing campaigns to take shape? Oh my God, it's 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 so exciting and it's so close and it's already happening. So if, if you look at it in the sense that the ISS is really like the test platform for this new ecosystem of private space stations. So for example, if a company decides to like like Adidas decides to you know maybe maybe develop a microgravity shoe on the on the ISS, well in about two or three years, they can scale that business model up to a private space station. Maybe they could provide all the footwear for the tourists that are visiting you know, the private hotels. And so just to go a little bit deeper into the private space station ecosystem, there's about four or five private companies that have you know, everything from uh, rotating space station hotels to, uh, to, to anything you can think of, you know, um, in orbit manufacturing, um, you can have an art show in space. Um, space is really only about you know sixty miles up, and these private space stations will probably be about two to three hundred miles up. That's literally going from you know LA to New York um, on a on a flight. So so our interaction with space is 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 so close in the sense of it's it's just right there and and I think there's going to be a really big demand for you know folks wanting to shoot a music video up there or or you know do an art show up there or uh or all sorts of things it's it's going to be pretty wild up there pretty soon or host a podcast right host a podcast I think I think the um ESA just just did something um on the ISS where um a DJ like a famous DJ broadcasted you know, music from the ISS. So yeah, all sorts of fun stuff. I mean, the the, the creative opportunities are endless. And, and as you mentioned, there's so much room for this, not just like slapping a sticker and saying, you know, this is sponsored by Home Depot. You know, you're looking at a new platform to get art and music and culture and ultimately kind of drum up support for space exploration, right? I mean, it is, I mean, this is telling the story of humanity as explorers, right? Yeah, exactly. I mean, if you really look at our species, we're really special, um, we're really colorful, we're so creative. And, and for any of the alien, alien followers out there, researchers out there, um, we're pretty much like the coolest thing, um, this side of the universe, right? We, we create these magnificent buildings and structures and art and music, and we just create all day. And, and I think that, you know, our growth and expansion into low earth orbit, the moon and to Mars, um, 
will will kind of help us spread um, some fun into the universe. I, I think we're a pretty cool species, and and we are really all artists in in the sense of um, of creation. So, Trisha, what do you say to critics who might worry that this is a bold step? You know, steps in the direction of commercialization of space could lead to an oversaturation or could lead to taking away from the fundamentals of what exploration is. You know, could this open the door for the ISS to turn into like NASCAR where there's sponsorships all over the place? I mean, put our mind at ease. How do you foresee dealing with the criticism of marketing and commercialization of space? That's a great question. Um, I, I really don't think that this this logo concept of we're gonna everybody's gonna put a logo on the moon will ever really fruit because it's silly it's it's kind of stupid and and I think we're, we've all kind of moved past that um, I think I think that the all these efforts in art you know design education creativity all this stuff it all contributes to our emotional stability um, living in space I mean we're human beings we need human interaction we need color we need stimulation. And, um, and, you know, one of the major concerns for the last couple of years has been, you know, how do you keep astronauts emotionally stable during long duration space flight to Mars and, and even, you know, for a year on the ISS. And, and I think, you know, our, the, the creative solutions are within art design and, and interaction back to earth. And I, and I, so I think it's very important for the emotional stability of our survival up there to, to look at, you know, integrating arts and culture into our new space life. Trisha, finally, before I let you go, what do you see is going to happen in the future? We, we talked about the prospects of the commercial space stations coming online and, you know, half a decade, a decade from now. We talked about some of the things that have happened in the past on the station. But what's ahead in the immediate short term? How do you think companies and firms are going to be jumping on this opportunity, let's say, in the next year or two? What can we expect? Well, I think you're going to see a lot of folks like myself that are, you know, creators and entrepreneurs that are going to invest in, um, you know, space. Um, I want to do partnerships in space. You know, we've created programs um, around art, design, education, uh, manufacturing, et cetera. And I think you're going to see a huge explosion of regular people that are not from the space world that are going to want to participate. Um, and, and now they have access to it. So, um, yeah, I think, I think this is like, you know, the beginning of a whole new world for us. It's kind of like the first day when, when AOL, you know, kind of became a household name. I think Elon has really made space into, um, private space specifically into, um, household, household conversation. And I think this is the beginning of, of something really big. And so I think there's gonna be a lot of entrepreneurs, um, that are going to be jumping on board, and, and we look forward to working with them. Well, an exciting future for the story of space. We've been speaking with Trisha Navazada. She's the principal of the Space Marketing Group. Trisha, thanks so much for speaking with us. Thank you, Brandon. Still to come, how close are we to making our own gravity in space? Are We There Yet? is back in a minute. You're listening to Are We There Yet? I'm Brendan Byrne. It's time for our weekly Ask the Experts segment called I'd Like to Know. Listener Aurora Tennyson asks, how far away are we from having rotating ships that create artificial gravity? Well, to help answer the question about making our own gravity in space, we're joined by University of Central Florida physicists and the hosts of the podcast Walk About the Galaxy, Josh Caldwell, Addie Dove, and Jim Cooney. So first of all, let's talk about the mechanics of this. Can we even make artificial gravity? Well, well. 
So Einstein's uh, equivalence principle... Oh, it always starts with Einstein. Right. <laughs> what was the Einstein's equivalence principle said that there's no difference between being in an accelerating object and being in a gravitational field. So you can imitate or mimic the effects of being in a gravitational field just by accelerating. Mm-hmm. Uh, but so that's y- like when you're in your car, if you're going at the same speed, you can't really tell that there are different things, different forces acting on you. But if you are accelerating in your car, you sort of feel a force on you. So you're creating sort of this different frame of reference. So a kind of giant spinny spaceship wouldn't be creating gravity. It Correct. would be mimicking gravity, right? Right. Okay. Yes. How would that work? What's the mechanics behind that? So it's a giant spinny space station, okay. um, but the key word there is spinny. Okay, and that's the um, technical term, and that's right? That's the technical term. I think, yeah, I think when people do centrifuging and in, in biology and stuff, they say <clears throat> it's their spinny experiment, right? Okay, yeah. So it's the same sensation you would have on any number of uh, amusement park rides. So in a roller coaster or in these rides where you're standing up against a wall and it spins, yeah, Ooh, and they can mm-hmm. drop the floor out from underneath and you don't fall because uh, of that. Uh, your body's desire to go in a straight line and the wall's desire to push you in a curved path uh, pushes you up against that wall. And uh, we've done some experiments, Addie and I have, on the infamous Bonnet Comet uh, airplane, which follows a sort of spinny trajectory in the up and down direction. Mm -hmm. When it's spinning over the top, the airplane is following the path of a falling object and we float inside as though there is no gravity, although, of course, we are falling mm-hmm. due to the Earth's gravity just at the same rate that the plane is. And when it's pulling up, the plane is accelerating upwards. We're pushed down in the floor of the plane. Mm-hmm. So we feel like we weigh more than normal. So if you're in space going to Mars or on a long trip and you want to have your body still get that sensation of weight, you can have the spacecraft spinning like the Great Space Station in 2001 yeah. or other science fiction mm-hmm. uh, shows. In the, in the Expanse recently, they've done a few things where they have the ship accelerating. They talk about how the ship is accelerating to create gravity as well. Uh-huh, okay. So they talk about how like the, sh- the shape of the Rosinante is such that they they tend to be accelerating the direction so that the, it's so that they're they feel like they're in sort of a one g or higher g environment. Mm-hmm. So uh, and they uh, also have a big giant spinny spacecraft on the Expanse as well, doing yeah. exactly this. Mm-hmm. So the question is, how big does this have to be? Are we actually going to be able to do this in the near future? Because that would be pretty cool. Right. You wouldn't want to, for example, be have the space shuttle spinning or you know or the space station spinning or something like that. Why not? Uh, well, for one thing, it's small. You have to spin faster. Mm-hmm. Uh, for a um, a small object, and also just we're ha- we have a certain size, so it depends how far you are from the center. If you're standing on the floor and your head is halfway to the center of the thing you're spinning, your head is feeling a very different thing mm-hmm. than your feet are. That's not pleasant, right? And I could only assume looking out the window of a spaceship that or a space shuttle that was spinning would be very disorienting as well, right? Sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Put some LED, uh, put some uh, video monitors there. Yeah. Just have just have a nice screensaver view out just the window. Cover right. the windows with tin foil, right? Yes. Yeah. <laughs> well, other than 2001: A Space Odyssey and The Expanse, have we seen this kind of technology in in, in practical usage? It, has it been tried in the real world? There have been some tether experiments for uncrewed uh, spacecraft where things have been flung out on tethers and spun and. This is one of the things they do for stabilization of spacecraft is they spin them. Mm-hmm. And uh, they'll uh, slow down that spinning by 
sending masses out on long cables, oh, okay. and that slows it down the same way a spinning space uh, spinning space skater, <laughs> <laughs> spinning ice yes. skater slows down. Olympics, uh, Olympics twenty thirty. Right, that'd be awesome. <laughs> right. But then, unlike the uh, ice skater, we wouldn't want to cut her arms off. The spacecraft can cut off those weights that are out at the end of those things, and the angular momentum goes flying off to infinity, and the thing slows down. So, in that sense, the, there have been some technological demonstrations. Not. The, the the science of it is straightforward. It's mm-hmm. a technological challenge because you need a large spacecraft, as Jim was saying. Right. It's not even really that the technology isn't there. We could build one of these things today. I mean, we have the like I said, we have the, the theory and the technology. It's just like the will. It's a very expensive, giant project. Yeah. If you want to build a really big spacecraft, we're pretty good at spinning. It's just building something. Yeah, big enough building to something spin. big enough that it, it, yeah. And having like a reason to do it, right? People that would want to be up there. So there's some. There's a company Bigelow and a couple other companies that are talking about having some space habitats, but they're all just talking about relatively small things still. Mm-hmm. So there's not. I think there's just yeah. We have the technology, but that maybe not the sort of the, overwhelming yeah. will quite oh, yet yeah. to do it. Yeah, we don't it. have the will or the great need. Like if you were going to send a ship to another star where the trip was going to take centuries or thousands of years or something, then you would want, you know, if you were going to live a lifetime in one of these things, you'd want this. But maybe. if you're going to spend three months up in space like the astronauts or something, it's not really that right. necessary. Right, Probably get over it. Now, uh, talking to Josh and Addie who have had experience with this kind of vomit comet, does it feel any different? What 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 would would this kind of you know simulated gravity feel any different than you and I sitting in in the chair right now? It, it really wouldn't, as long as you were as long as that that spinning thing was large enough, mm-hmm. so that you didn't have that differential thing between your head and your feet. But, and uh, that it's constant, right? So the big thing with the vomit comet is that you're changing between low G to high G to low G to high G in a sort of, sort of short amount of time right. very quickly. Mm-hmm. So that's what makes you sort of feel sick, sick. or whatever. Yeah. Um, but if you were on a spinning space station where it was sort of a constant G, then, yeah, you wouldn't feel anything different than just walking around and, here. And one of the things that airplane can do, or any airplane, can fly a parabola that uh, gives you the acceleration that you would experience, for example, on the moon or on mm-hmm. Mars or pretty much any level that you want to set. And when they've done Martian parabolas or lunar parabolas for us, it just feels like, oh, gravity is now weaker. Mm-hmm. This is yeah. what it is like on the moon, or this is what it is like on Mars. Now, if you had a spinning spaceship, could you control that mm-hmm. that Absolutely. gravity? So yeah. you'd say if you're going to a place like Mars, you could adjust yourself yeah. to what the gravity would be like on the surface? Yeah, so it's just based on the rate at which it spins um, right. and how big it is. But up the, So you can just change how fast it's spinning, and that will change your gravity level. And that's probably what you would do, because yeah. uh, uh, the technological part of the expense is spinning requires a stronger structure. Mm-hmm. And so don't spin it as fast. You get Martian gravity instead of Earth gravity. It's a little bit cheaper to build, and it acclimates your astronauts to what they're going to encounter when they get there. And they'll probably figure out what's the right level to maintain human health for mm-hmm. that. Yeah, I think there's some interesting questions about, like, we know that there's a lot of health, long-term health problems that come from astronauts being in space in, in zero-G um, so there's some interesting questions of like, okay, if you have a lunar or a Martian G for an extended period of time, is that enough to sort of overcome parts of those mm-hmm. muscle atrophy and things like that that we see? So the physics is there. The science is there. We're just looking for a need to do it, right? Yeah. Right on. Place to go. That was Addie Dove, Josh Caldwell, and Jim Cooney. They're physicists at the University of Central Florida. They also host the podcast Walk About the Galaxy. Check it out wherever you download your podcasts or on their website, walkaboutthegalaxy.com. And if you have a question for I'd Like to Know, send it in. You can shoot me an email at yet at wmfe.org. Or you can send me a tweet or AWTY Mars or find us on Facebook. Search for Are We There Yet Podcast. 
Are We There Yet is a production of WMFE and WMFV. Don't miss a single episode of this podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the feed on NPR One, Spotify, iTunes, or wherever you get your podcasts. Editorial guidance this week from Matthew Petty. Production assistance from Danielle Pryor. Our director of content is Steve Yasko. Support for Are We There Yet comes from you, our listeners. Until next week, I'm Brendan Byrne. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.